I want to begin with a question. What is the great benefit that you gain by being here today? I mean, what is the greatest benefit that any man, woman, boy, or girl coming here could receive? Let me back up and zoom out and make the question as broad as I can make it. What is the great benefit that Christianity bestows upon the world? Let me think about that. Why, why are you here? Why am I here? Why, why are we here? What does the Christian message have to offer? And it may be that you're here and you're wondering the same thing. It could be that maybe you were sort of, uh, I don't want to say dragged here, you were enticed. <laughs> you were encouraged, perhaps, uh, to come here, or, or maybe you're here, this is where you are every Sunday. The question still for everybody, what, like, what is the point? What is the great benefit that Christianity bestows upon the world? And, I, I, I mean, some would say, well, I, I guess Christianity, uniquely, of all the worldviews, of all the religions, Christianity offers the highest set of morals and ethics. Eh. Like, is that the unique benefit? Yeah, we got the Sermon on the Mount, we got the Ten Commandments, no question. I would say Christianity has the resources for a great system of morals and ethics, but surely that's not the unique benefit. You can get a, a good system of morals and ethics in all sorts of world religions, okay. I wouldn't say it's that. We'd say, well, what, love, right? Aren't Christians always talking about love and God is love. Yes, I believe the Christian religion does have great resources for love, but you can fall in love without being a Christian or understanding even the Christian message. Well, some would say, some Christians would say, my faith gives me an inner peace, a kind of calm, and, and that inner sense of calm and peace, that's a great benefit. Again, I don't deny that that is a great benefit that Christianity bestows as a byproduct, but you can get feelings of inner peace and calm in all sorts of ways without the message of Christianity. So, what is the great benefit that Christianity bestows upon the world? What does even, if, and if you don't even under, believe the claims of Christianity, then at least grant this is what Christianity claims it bestows upon the world. It claims to bestow this. Yes, it's not about love or a system of, of ethics or, or an instance of inner peace. All those things, yes, all those things are byproducts. But the great benefit that Christianity claims to bestow upon the world is this. They claim that Christianity alone, of all the world religions, Christianity alone can solve the problem of how humans go from being under the dreadful wrath of God to spend an eternity in hell apart from him, transferred to being under his grace and his mercy to spend an eternity in heaven with God on new heaven, new earth, glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Christianity uniquely claims that the greatest problem you have, regardless of everything else you might think it is, the greatest problem you have is your need to be forgiven of sin, and that is God's highest accomplishment. You might say it this way, forgiveness of sins is humanity's deepest problem and God's highest achievement. Forgiveness of sin is man's deepest need and God's highest achievement. Now, li listen, I, I want to allow for the fact, it could be here, this message will fall flat, and I'll tell you where it will fall flat. It will fall flat to the degree that, quite frankly, you don't believe that. I, I wouldn't judge you. you. Look, you're here. You have my love and respect. No matter what you decide, I'm going to love you and I'm going to respect you. That's not what's up for debate. But we need to talk about this. Do you really see that forgiveness of sin is your deepest need? Because where on the list would that go? If you're like most of us, you know, it's like, well, I, 
I would say my deepest need, if I actually had to sit down and think about it, what's driving me, a deepest need, I, it's probably my health issue. I'm battling that health thing, whatever. That's a deep need. But I would argue you have one deeper still. Others would say, it's, it's financial worries, man. I'm drowning in debt, and I can't get ahead, and I don't see a light at the end of this tunnel. That's a deep need. You have a deeper still. Others would say, it's my anxiety, my depression. It's gotten to the point where I can barely like function. That is a deep need. God cares about that. There is one still deeper. Others would say, it's relationships, man. It's drama. It's, it's what he did. It's what she did. It's my ex, okay? Yeah, that's a deep need. There's one deeper still, and it's forgiveness of sin. And while Christ can deal with all those other things, and God can deal with all those other things, the message of Christianity is fundamentally about a single theological doctrine, your need for redemption, and a sinless, spotless, sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus, stretching out his arms on an old Roman cross 2,000 years ago. They crucified him on Calvary's Hill on a Friday. And all of the wrath of sin that we deserve was laid upon Jesus, and three days later, That dead, crucified Jesus got up and walked out of a grave. It's based on a theological doctrine and one historical fact, the fact of the resurrection. Christians believe, I believe a dead man, stone cold dead, took a breath. I believe that that dead heart started beating. And he got up after three days and walked out. And what that means, that now proves to me that he has the authority to forgive sin. The cross, it's like it was vindicated when Jesus walked up out of the grave. Because if Jesus just, I mean, if he just died on the cross but never rose from the dead, it's kind of like, well, he, he died for sin, but I, I guess he had his own sins because the wages of sin is death. But the fact that he died and then rose again shows me when he says he's paying for all our sin, when he says it is finished, I believe him. I believe that God really did lay my sins upon Jesus because why? Because he was raised from the dead three days later. It's almost like, um, it's almost like the resurrection was proof that the forgiveness of sins on the cross really took. Does that make sense? Can I, can I say it that way? It's like, a, uh, uh, it's like a check for everybody under 40. A paper check is this thing you used to write before there was Venmo. I, and get, get some boomer to explain it to you. Okay. It's like a check. Listen, I can write you a check and sign it, an official check out of my checkbook. I can write you a check right now for a million dollars. Good luck cashing it, right? So see, you can write the check, but it's not, it won't clear the bank. I'm not good for it. You might say it this way. For forgiveness of sin, the, the check was written on Calvary's cross. It is paid in full. It is finished. But you might say it cleared. The proof is Easter Sunday morning, see, because he rose from the dead. And that, listen, that, that's the message. That's what we have to offer. If have you, I mean, can I just ask you point blank? Have you come to a place in your life where you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? You might say it this way. Have you ever taken your life and transferred your trust to Jesus? You've taken your life from you and put your life into the hands of Jesus. Has that happened in your life? Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna talk for a few minutes right out of God's word, and at the end of this message, I'm gonna give what's called an invitation. And that's where, remember that response card? I asked you to hold on to it to the end. At the invitation, at the end of that, I'm actually going to give two. And we've already had some respond already in our earlier services. It's been an incredible blessing. But but what about you today? At the end of the service, my first invitation, I'm going to ask you point blank, do you need to be saved? Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Lots of preachers say it lots of different ways. But I'm going to ask you if you need to receive him. If you would say, I've never been saved or I don't know that I'm saved, be saved today. 
Place your faith and trust that Jesus, when he died on the cross for you, it was for you in your place and for your salvation. And the wrath of God that you deserved was laid upon Jesus. He was your substitute. And the righteousness, the right standing with God that Jesus had can be given freely to all who believe. What do you have to do? You believe by faith. You believe in the only begotten son, Jesus. I'm gonna ask you, and if anybody needs to be saved, I'm praying that somebody in this room, maybe, maybe many people, will cross over from death to life in just a few minutes when I give that invitation. And so I want you to prepare your heart now for it. The second invitation is for anybody who would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm saved, but I feel so far from God. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I need to repent, I need to turn. And when you turn and you think you're gonna begin that journey back to God, that long journey back to God, depending on real long, some of you, how far you've slidden away, you feel real, real far Uh, When you turn to rededicate your life, here's what you're going to be surprised. When you turn to begin that long journey back, you're going to realize there is no journey back. When you turn, he's right there because he's been following you. He's been chasing you. He loves you. I'm going to give those two invitations, and uh, 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 here's how we're going to get there. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Will you do that? Will you turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Matthew 9? We'll also have the scriptures up here on the screen. We've been in a series at First Baptist on the Gospel of Matthew And now he begins a famous miracle. I say it's famous, I bet you know it. Are you like me? Did you grow up in church? Did you grow up with the Sunday school lessons? Uh, Even if you've not been in church in a while, if you grew up, I bet you know this, but you might not know it from Matthew's version because his details are very sparse. Look at Matthew 9.1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic Lying on a bed. Now you might be like, mm, that rings a bell, but I don't think I can place why this is such a famous miracle. I bet if I told you this story out of Mark's version or Luke's, remember there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus. Sometimes they highlight different things. Matthew leaves a lot of the juicy details out that Mark and Luke put in. And I bet if I read you Mark's version, I bet it'd ring, some, I bet it'd ring the bell for some of you. I'll read it. You, just, you just, just picture this. This is Mark's version of the same story. And when he returned from Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Now is it ringing a bell? And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, They climbed up on the roof. Anybody? They removed the roof above him. The Greek phrase is great here. It literally says they de-roofed the roof. (laughs) They got unroofed. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, do you remember the story? See, Matthew leaves all that stuff out. It's like, yeah, 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 he got there. Mark and Luke are like, yeah, but it, 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 they thought it was worth mentioning. Matthew wants to stop. Laser focus. Stay on, on what he's talking about. But now, now do you remember the story? The four friends, they bring the paralytic. They get to, right? You remember the scene, right? They get to the, uh, 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 man, Jesus is coming. Let's go. Jesus has been healing everywhere. Have you heard about what he did in chapter 8? <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, let, let, let's, let's get him. Yeah, let, let's bring our friend. Like the four friends gather. Let's go. How are we going to drag this guy back? It's like we won't have to drag him back, bro. If we can just get him to Jesus, he'll walk back. You know he's going to heal him. So they work and they get him. It's hot. Oh, man, it's going to be great. He's here. I heard he's at this particular house in Capernaum. And so they get him there. And when they get there, packed, standing room only, 
They're like, oh, man. They get up there, and they, Jesus is up there. He, they can barely hear. Jesus is up there at the front preaching the gospel. He's preaching about himself. And, 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 and so they're like, oh, but yeah, 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 the gospel's important, but we really came for this healing. This is my real need. And so you imagine they like, like tap somebody on the shoulder like, hey, psst, hey, could you, is there any way you could make a little room we could get through and, and maybe, maybe get to Jesus? You imagine they look around like, take a number, buddy. Okay, we all got problems, okay? We're all waiting for this. As soon as Jesus gets done, blah, 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 with all the preaching, then the healing's gonna start, and we've all got something for Jesus to heal. So, no, you know, wait your turn, pal. Man, what are we gonna do? The paralytic's on the mat, and he's discouraged. They brought him all this way, and the four friends, and one of them's like, I know, right? In our day, we put the stairwells inside of our home. Back then, they would put the stairwells on the outside of the home, and they would lead up to the roof. They didn't have roofs like us. They would have thatch, you know, mud and, and uh, uh, sticks and, and across slats of wood, and it would form a, a, a nice uh, insulated roof, and you could, you could sit up there and cool off in the evenings, and so people would use that kind of as a deck. And so they're like, yeah, I know what to do. And they imagine they drag the guy up the stairs, right, and they, they, they get there, and they start pulling away pieces of the, of the roof. Can you imagine the perspective of the crowd listening to Jesus? And they start to see little dust drop down. Then, poof, a big clod of dirt, right? Eventually, some dirt falls in Jesus' hair. Can you imagine trying to listen to a sermon while all this is? Do you ever find it's difficult to pay attention during a sermon? Don't answer that. You're like, what do you say? I don't know. you. <laughs> Yeah, well, let me tell you, when a clump of dirt falls into Jesus' hair, the sermon at that point is effectively over, right? And so somehow, and then the light shines through, and like, what is going on up there? The owner of the house is like, great. You know, nobody mentions me in the New Testament, but I got to pay for this. Anyway, opening the, right? And they get it, and there they are. They lower him down. Can you imagine? They get him through. Uh, this just goes to show, when I preached on this sermon out of my Mark series, out of Mark's version, I said that the title of the sermon is... Four of a kind beats a full house. Now, if you didn't get that, ask the person who laughed and say, tell me, sinner, why is that, why is that humorous? I do not understand. My puritanical ways do not let me appreciate this joke, right? But you understand, they lower him down, right? Can you imagine? And there, gets in front of Jesus. Oh, man. Gets there in front of Jesus. You know, oh, careful, guys, steady. I have no idea how. It never explains in the Bible. How were they able to pick the exact spot on the roof where it's like, I bet Jesus is right under us here, right? So anyway, they pick it. They lower it down, right? Can you imagine? I just, Whoa, easy, guys. Steady. Starting to sway. There's dirt falling down. I imagine Jesus just laughs like, well, okay, that interrupts this sermon, right? The guy. I always imagine when he gets down, what happens when he gets down to eye level with Jesus? What's up? <laughs> At this point, Jesus is laughing, and there he is right there in front of him. Okay, what's he going to do now? Well, Jesus, oh, man, what's he going to say? When he saw their, this is why I think he laughed. When he saw their faith, you say, how did Jesus see faith? I'd say when they ripped a hole in the roof, that was pretty good evidence of their faith. So when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, and you could have heard a pin drop, right? This is the moment. I mean, because think about it. Look, the, the paralytic is there. Am I going to be healed? Is this my moment? Even the crowds are like, is this the moment? They don't know Jesus like some of you and I know Jesus. We know Jesus can heal everything. They don't know that. They've seen him heal some things, but maybe this guy's beyond the pale. Maybe this guy can't be helped. I don't know. And so the next words out of his mouth are like, you know what it's like? This would be like 
they got your biopsy results back and the oncologist has asked to meet with you. And you're sitting in your cancer doctor's office waiting in the little waiting room they put you in. It's been 15 minutes and it feels like it's been 15 years. And you know when she comes into that room, when your doctor comes into that room, you know you are going to hang on every word she says. You're not going to hear anything. All you're going to listen for, you're like, you're like listening for body language, right? Like even as, I mean, this is the results. Am I going to live? Is it cancerous? What's it going to, what are the test results? And so you're starting to think like, okay, well, they would have just told me on the phone. Why would they call me in here? Well, she said she wanted to go over the results. That means maybe, you know, you're thinking, and then you hear her coming down the hall. You're even listening for the footsteps, like trying to read footsteps. Like, does a fast walk mean good news? You know, like the knock on the door, that sounded like a bad news knock, right? They come in. Some of you have been in this situation or have loved ones. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You won't hear anything out of the first words out of their mouth. And you're just watching. You're watching everything. You're watching body language. You are on high alert. What's Jesus going to say? What's it going to be? And then when she sits down, if she says, deep breath, you're going to be okay. If your doctor says that, you're like, yes! Whoo! Then no matter what else she says, I don't care. I'm okay. No matter what else, as long as the first words are like, you're going to be okay. Whoo! Okay. That's fine. If, however, her first words are, I'm afraid I have. It doesn't matter what she says. It doesn't matter what she says after that. If she's afraid she has bad news, it's bad news. You're not going to hear the rest of it, right? So everything hangs on those first words of your doctor. Well, now, let's go back to the great physician Jesus. What's it going to be? He's there. He needs healing. Everybody sees it. And the first words out of mouth, he says, Take heart. To which they're like, yes! Yes, he said, take heart. That means it's going to be okay. That means have courage. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Whew. And the four friends are like, high five. You know, yes. Ah, oh, this is great. Okay, okay, take heart. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be healed. This is great. And he doesn't stop there. He adds, take heart, my son. Are you kidding me? What a term of endearment. Not only take heart, but not like a doctor who has to keep some professional distance, but like take heart, my son. Jesus is saying, I love you and care for you the way a father would care for a wounded son. I see that you're broken and I have compassion, just like a father has compassion on a child. Take heart, my son. Ah, So he just knows the next words out of his mouth are going to be the healing. Take heart, my son. We know. Oh, what other? Here it comes. The whole place is about to erupt. The whole place can't wait. Here it comes. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Yep. Womp, womp. <laughs> it's kind of like... Well, well, that's great, Jesus, but that's not why we're here. You can just imagine somebody saying, what do you mean your sins are forgiven? The guy's still paralyzed on the mat. Everybody's like, uh, well, that was not a very satisfying. Uh, 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 take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven? You imagine somebody saying, Jesus, Jesus. Um, obviously, you're having a little trouble reading the room. <laughs> So while it's great that you want to talk about religion and you want to talk about sins and the gospel and all that stuff, that's great, Jesus, but that's not why we're here. Like, we got real problems. Does anybody ever feel that way when you come to church? You got real problems. You come here, and the gospel preacher says, take heart, your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And you want to say, why you got to focus on religion, man? I got real problems. Like, that, that, that's great, but that's not why we're here. 
it frustrates a lot of people. And it, honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit insensitive, you know, if you think about it, right? I mean, it's just a, well, I said that my Mark title would have been Four of a Kind Beats a Full House. I think if I could title this message with a pun, I would, I would call this one The Ultimate Letdown. It takes longer, but I think when you get it, you'll be well rewarded. Maybe not. The, the audience is let down. The friends are disappointed. The paralytic is, is, is crushed. And it seems insensitive, you know? Like, come on, Jesus, he's been through all this, and you're going to talk about his sins? In modern-day modern uh, usage, we would say this is victim-shaming. Here the guy's in all this trouble, and you're going to pile on, you're going to talk about his sins. What does sins got to do with anything, Jesus? You know what this would be like? Imagine you're in a terrible car crash, and you've got all sorts of injuries, including a internal brain hemorrhage, and also a broken toe. <laughs> and when you get to the ER, the doctor begins treating your broken toe and not the internal brain hemorrhage. You would say, that doctor is not very compassionate, he's not very level-headed, and he's not very good at triage, right? What are you doing with the broken toe? This is an internal brain hemorrhage, right? Everybody in the room thinks that's what Jesus just did. Everybody in the room's going, why are you dealing with the broken toe of forgiveness of sin when he's got, like, the real issue is his paralysis? Everybody in the room thinks that, that he's not very compassionate, he's insensitive, and he's, he's not very good at triage, Jesus. He's clearly got this need, and you're over here talking about forgiveness of sins. Everybody in the room thinks that. And everybody in the room is wrong. Jesus is the great physician. He is compassionate. He is level-headed, and he does what nobody can see. He actually treats the internal bleeding of the soul that is caused by sin. Then he deals with the physical healing. Because if he doesn't deal with the sin problem, then all the healing in the world physically won't help this man. He does triage. He is compassionate. He is the great physician. He just understands something that I want us to understand this morning. Our deepest need is not always the one that is most pressing. It's not the one that presents itself all the time. But our deepest need is worthy of his highest accomplishment, which is this, forgiveness of sins. Well, I, I understand. That was not a popular thing for Jesus to say then. It's still not a popular thing for preachers to say now. And the only people that get excited about that, see, see, it, I hope that you're hearing me clearly. If you're hearing me clearly, I hope at least somebody is offended by this. To come in here with all that the world throws at you, to come in here and to hear your deepest need is actually sin. If you're offended, it means you're hearing what I'm saying. But what I pray for more than anything is that beyond those who just ignore the message, beyond those who are offended by the message, if there's somebody who it's like I'm talking right at you, and you feel shame before a holy God, you feel separated before a holy God, if there's anybody who knows that before a holy God, they have a sin problem, and that needs to be set right, then it's you I'm talking to, and I'm here to tell you, listen to me, God saves sinners. That's the message that Christianity offers the world. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what you're being offered today. He's still mighty to save. He's powerful to save. So, 
before we wrap this up and, and, and give you that invitation, uh, uh, we need to talk about how Jesus can save from sin. We can do this quickly. It's the very question the religious people wanted to know. Verse three, and behold, some of the scribes. Now the scribes were like, like uh, theologians. They're, they were the religious people. They were your church people trying to figure out uh, uh, legalistically uh, what's going on. They said to themselves, well, this man is blaspheming. And I added there Mark and Luke. Uh, Matthew doesn't add this because he wants us to stay laser focused. But Mark and Luke add, because who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right, aren't they? I mean, this makes total sense. It, can you imagine? You're a scribe and you watch this, this, this rabbi. He seems to have some special powers, but you just think of him as a human prophet. Can you imagine? You watch Jesus walk up to a guy and say, hey, listen, um, all that blasphemy you've done against God all that evil you've done against God, all the ways you've lied to God and you've disobeyed God, all those sins against God, it's cool. I'll let it go. I'll forgive you. You'd be like, that's blasphemy. Why? Because how could a human walk up to somebody and be like, hey, everything you did against God, it's cool. I'm going to let it go. Well, who do you think? Who? If the sins are against God, who can forgive those sins? God. That's why they say, who can forgive sin but God alone? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You can help the man get forgiveness, but you got to go to the temple. Jesus, you got to somehow get him to the temple. And then once you're at the temple, you got to get him to the high priest. Where's the temple, Jesus? Where's the high priest, Jesus? You could maybe get him to God somehow, but, 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 but where's the... And then, if you got the temple and the high priest, what about the sacrifice, Jesus? Where's the lamb, Jesus? There's a process here. Who do you think you are? Just, just, just what, you're, you're now the go-between between God and man when it comes to forgiveness of sin? The scribe's got that right, in a sense. And now, oh, now, he has everybody's attention. In fact, I think Jesus wasn't done with his sermon. I think Jesus knew this was gonna happen, and this is the point of his sermon. He has their attention now. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he knows, he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus is saying, I'm not blind to the situation. I, I, I know why he's here, and I know what you're thinking. I know why you came, but I know something else. Y'all are disappointed because what you can't see is I've healed his eternal need, and you're also worried about his temporary need. And so some of y'all need a little help believing that I can even offer such a thing as forgiveness of sin. You, you say, well, it's easy, to say, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. How can you prove it? How can you demonstrate it? Okay. So he says, I'll I, I tell you what. I'll give you a little demonstration. Verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? You see the point of his question, right? There's no, there's no demonstrable proof. If, if I say your sins are forgiven and your sins are forgiven and all y'all sins are forgiven, that's great, but there's no like outward sign that sins have actually been forgiven. How do we know that our record is set right with God? But if you say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk, well, the proof is in the pudding, right? Your money's where your mouth is. Remember I told you there were, maybe I told you there were three sets of three stories in this part of Matthew. After the Sermon on the Mount, which is about the kingdom, Jesus goes out and demonstrates the kingdom. And Matthew tells it in three sets of three miracles. This message is from the second set. And he tells this particular triad of miracles. He tells them for a reason. First, Jesus proves he has power over nature. Remember this? They're out on the boat. Jesus is asleep, 
A big storm comes up. They wake Jesus up. Jesus, Jesus, there's a storm. Don't you care we're going to die? Jesus gets up from his nap, thrown around by the boat. Mm, right? Oh, you have little faith. Right? Remember this story? He looks out at the storm. Quiet. Be still. And immediately the storm is calm and the, and the sea is like glass. You tell me how he did that. The waves even stop. Because even after a boat goes by in Smith Lake, you still feel the waves for a long time. Imagine calming it and suddenly there's no waves. He has power over nature. I can go out to Smith Lake and say, quiet when there's a storm. You'll know if I have that power whether or not the storm keeps going, right? But when Jesus says quiet, everybody, it's demonstrated. He has power over nature. So when he says quiet, he can prove it. Then they go to the other side and there's a man possessed by demons. You remember the story of legion of demons. And Jesus says to the demons, go. And the demons enter into a flock of pigs, a herd of pigs, and the pigs go careening off a cliff into their destruction, into the water. With just one word, Jesus said, go. And clearly they went. There was a physical demonstration. Everybody see, what I'm, see where I'm going with this? He proved he had power over nature because when he said it, there was evidence. He proved he had power over demons because when he said it, there was evidence. But how is he going to prove he has power over sin? Because when he says, your sins are forgiven, there's no evidence. So Jesus says, all right, all right, I get it. You need to, so that you can know that the Son of Man has authority. Look at verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, I will demonstrate in the physical what just happened to this man in the spiritual. I'll give you some evidence. Because anybody can just say your sins are forgiven. Let me give you some evidence. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. If this were a movie, this would be a dramatic pause because all eternity hangs in the balance of what happens next. Is it going to work? One of two things. If the man can get up, if the man can rise up, then it proves Jesus is exactly who he says he was, and when he says he forgives sin, his forgiveness is effectual. His, his forgiveness works. It, it, his, it, he absolutely was forgiven of sin. If he gets up and rises, if he doesn't, if he kind of struggles for a minute and can't get up, then it proves Jesus was a blasphemer. He's a fraud, and he deserves a blasphemer's death. What's it going to be? Let me say it again because it's Easter. The proof of whether or not Jesus' forgiveness works is whether a man rises and goes home or not. Let me say it yet a third time so that everyone can draw the clear parallel I'm making to Easter Sunday. The proof, eternity hangs in the balance of what happens next. If the man can get up and walk, if the man can get up and go home, it proves Jesus is who he says he is. If he can't, he is a blasphemer who deserves a blasphemer's death. It all depends on whether or not, after the forgiveness of sin is accomplished, you know it was accomplished, whether or not the man can rise up and go. Let's see what happened. Verse 7, and he rose and went home. And you know the whole way home they were like, I am risen. I am risen indeed. Right? I can't believe it. They're thrilled. They're celebrating. They're so happy. Right? Does everybody, see, does everybody see the parallel? 
There's a dramatic pause in that moment. Is that not unlike the dramatic pause of Silent Saturday? The proof in whether or not Jesus' forgiveness really took is in whether or not that man can rise up and go home. And I'm telling you, on early Easter Sunday morning, when the Lord of glory rose up from that grave and ascended with all power and authority in his hand, it is proof that his forgiveness was real. See? It all depends on whether or not the man can rise up and walk. It's a little microcosm in Matthew 9. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen Easter Sunday. Well, everybody's thrilled at this point. I mean, verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. That, that word means awestruck, right? And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Oh, man, they, now they're high-fiving and they're chest-bumping, right? He did it. Now there's the healing. We knew you could do it. Jesus, the guy got healed. He got his physical healing. He got his deep need met. And everybody's celebrating and everybody goes home. And whoo, the guy's like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. That's great, Jesus. But you have to wonder if Jesus was just a little disappointed. Because it's like, where was, all that, where was all that celebrating when he said your sins are forgiven? It's funny, isn't it? We, we celebrate when these deep needs are met, but the real celebration for every blood-bought, born-again believer, the deepest need you had in your life was forgiveness of sin, and it was God's greatest gift. And that's where the celebration should have been. Now, that'll hit us at different times, and I wonder if Jesus wondered, I wonder when it's going to hit this guy. Well, I wonder if it's going to dawn on this guy. I wonder if it's going to dawn on some of you that today you have this great need for forgiveness of sin and there's a great accomplishment, the cross of Jesus Christ, available to you. Brandon's going to come and help us with some uh, musical response as we give this invitation. I want to close it out this way, a little thought experiment. What if... um, What if we could invite this guy who is the the man healed, the paralytic healed. What if we could invite him here to First Baptist to give his testimony? wonder what he'd say. Can you imagine with me? Hey, y'all. Uh, that story from Matthew 9 is true, every word of it. Um, it happened 2,000 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. So I'm here to give my testimony. Um, oh, sorry. First thing I got to do is shout out my four friends. Thank you, guys. <laughs> None of this would have happened without you. I was like, they were like, hey, we're going to take you to see Jesus. And I was like, whatever. And, but they were like, no, nah, you, you know, and I didn't have any choice. And they were like, okay. And they took me. And then when we got there, I'll never forget. And it was hot and it was crowded. But then they, then they took me up to the roof. And I was like, oh, man, y'all, what are you doing? I was so embarrassed. But they dug through the roof. And yeah, man, it was crazy. And they dropped me down. I, I remember it all. And uh, anyway, I'm here to give glory, here to give a testimony uh, all about Jesus. Uh, and I just got to say how awesome Jesus is. Because of what he did that day, that was a day I will never forget. So I went home, first thing I did, I was like celebrating. I threw that old mat away and uh, put it in the, in the back closet. And uh, I said, I don't, I don't need that old, that's, a, that's an old deathbed. I don't need that anymore. And uh, I was able to, I'll never forget, it's just random what sticks in your memory. But I was able to um, make a meal and serve. My mom and dad had cared for me in every way. My mom and dad cared for me. And I, I started crying the first time I was able to make a meal and serve them. And it was like, yes, like what a, what a gift. That's all because of Jesus. And then, y'all, I actually um, uh, got my GED. I, uh, I, I, went, I, got, I got a job, and then I started building a career. Y'all, I got a career all because of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Uh, all thanks to Jesus healing me that day. And I always wanted a family, but it was never going to happen. But because of Jesus, I, I got married, and then we got kids. 
That's all because of Jesus. I owe everything to Jesus. All hail King Jesus. He's a healer. He healed me. It's awesome. And I just came to give testimony about what God could do. It still didn't dawn on me, but I, I was just so happy. But here's where it started to dawn on me. Fast forward three or four decades after that great day. And like it happens to everybody, seemed like I was getting older and some parts, <laughs> some, some aches and pains, stuff didn't work like it used to. Some of you can relate. And uh, started getting illnesses and sicknesses. And you remember, remember how I had those four friends? Well, we were friends our whole life. Uh, their wives and mine, man, we, we were going on vacation together. It was great. You know what? One by one, those friends died. And I'm here to tell you, I've, I've, I've been in glory now 2,000 years. And I look back, um, I do think it's ironic. I outlived all four of my friends. I guess when Jesus heals you, he gives you a little extra, you know. And so I, whatever. But, uh, but that's when it started to hit me. I, um, I was asked to be a pallbearer at each of their funerals. And I thought, isn't it ironic? When I was helpless and hopeless, they carried me. But now when their body lies stone cold dead, they're ultimately, I mean, that's the ultimate helpless. That's the ultimate hopeless. And here I am carrying them. And then we got to that grave site, and they would dig it six feet deep. And there, with the other pallbearers, I would lower them down. And I could not help but think about how that's, I mean, when I was hopeless, they lowered me down. And then I got sick, and my body started to come to the end. And you know, when I got sick, they took care of me in my home. You know what they, put, you know what they did? They went back into the garage and they found, of all things, that old mat. And they laid that down. And that became my deathbed. That's when it all clicked. That's when it clicked. If all Jesus had done that day was heal me physically and left it at that, then all those decades go by. And I think, for what? And they go by fast. Here I am, no better off than where I started. What difference does it make? You just delayed it. Every healing is just a temporary healing. So I've come to give you testimony and glory to God and tell you it finally dawned on me. What everybody thought, and certainly what I thought in that moment, was that Jesus was being very insensitive, and he was ignoring the obvious need and talking about something else. But I've been 2,000 years in his presence, and I'm here to tell you, I thank God that when he looked at me, he didn't just see my pressing physical need. He saw my spiritual need, and he gave me the ultimate healing. He offered me his highest achievement, forgiveness of sin. So that when I came to death's door, I had life and life eternal. That is my ultimate need. That was my deepest need, and I thank God. Now it all makes sense. It makes sense why the scribes were so mad. It makes sense the scribes were so mad because he didn't take me to the temple. He is the true temple. He didn't take me to the high priest. He is the great high priest between God and man. He didn't have to sacrifice a lamb because in just a few short chapters, he himself was the sacrificial lamb who stretched out his arms on Calvary's cross for us and our salvation. Perhaps the man might say something like that. Perhaps that would be his testimony. That's his story. I care about your story. Where are you? Do you need to receive him? 
Is this touching somebody's heart? Is there somebody who can get past the offense of being told that we're not right with God, that we're sinners, who can say, wait a minute, that, that's convicting. This isn't a preacher talking to me. I feel like God is talking to me. I feel like he's, he's calling me to be right. If that's you, I want to give you a chance to respond. Here's how. This may be a little old school, but will you close your eyes and bow your heads? Would you be willing to do that? so that you can focus and concentrate. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. Here's how I thought to give this response. This is how I did it in the other services. If you would say, I've never been saved. I need to be saved. I've never been born again. I've never uh, received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Different preachers have different ways of saying it. I think they're saying roughly the same thing. If you would say, that's me. Or, or I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know where I would spend eternity if I died, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. Either way, if that's you, you can settle that matter today. If you need to be saved, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three. And on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. You've responded with your brain already. You know the plan of salvation. God made you, sin separated us. Christ died for you. You can receive him by faith because he is alive, he's risen. You've got it the head content, and you've got the heart. You feel like God is pulling at you. You feel like God is trying to get your attention. So you've got the brain, you've got the heart. Now I want you to respond with your body just by standing to your feet on the count of three, if that's you. I, I, I'll count to three. You just stand up. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to meet anybody. You, don't, you just stand where you are, and I will, pray, I will lead you in a simple prayer. And if those words are helpful to you, they can provide maybe some scaffolding around your prayer that you want to offer to God. That's it. You responded with your brain, respond with your heart. Now I'm offering you an invitation to respond with your body by standing to your feet. I'll count to three. I won't do it multiple times. I'll just give this invitation and we'll move on. It, 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 I'll count to three and you stand. I have done this long enough to know that right now, though, there is an uh, enemy who is uh, already whispering lies in some of your ear. Some of you, you know you need to stand. You know you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But it's like the enemy, it's like the devil is saying, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't. And one of his chief lies, he'll lie to you and say, don't do that because what will people think? Well, you can ignore that lie. First of all, if someone sees that you're standing, they will rejoice. That's what they'll think. But more importantly, it shouldn't matter what anyone thinks. This isn't between you and anyone else. This is between you and your Savior. Don't listen to the lies of your enemy. You listen to the still, small voice of your Savior. He's calling you now. If that's you, all across this room, I'll count to three. You stand to your feet, and I'll lead you in a simple prayer. Are you ready? Then the time is now. One, two, three. If that's you, you stand. Okay, God bless you. I don't see any who stood there. If I missed you, please use the response card, but I don't see any, so I'll move on to the second invitation. If you would say, I'm a believer, but I need to respond to him and rededicate my life to him. I need to repent from sin and turn back to God. If that's you, I'll count to three. You stand. I won't lead you in a prayer, but I'll pray generally over you. If that's you, you'd say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, but I, I need to rededicate my life today. I need to repent. If that's you, all over this room, you stand. One, two, three. You stand now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, you see these who stand, but you know every heart, you know every life. I pray, oh God, that you would grant them grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. Let them know their love. Let them know they are your child. God, grant to them that they might 
die to sin and live to you. And grant to all of us a fresh love for you, our Savior, who met not just a deep need, but our deepest need with your highest accomplishment, the death, burial, and resurrection of the only begotten Son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.